see trees of green. If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at liveonfourlegspod. What a wonderful world. Hey, oh, let's go. Uh, self-pollution, air pollution, noise pollution, pre-pollution, post-pollution, face pollution, hair pollution, solution pollution. I don't think so. Not enough solutions to our many complex dilemmas these days. So here we are broadcasting out from a little place, uh, uh, here in Seattle, uh, I don't know if we've got proven answers to any of the issues we might uh, bring up tonight, but perhaps you can take them home and sort them out, think about how you feel. Perhaps the beginning of change begins right in your head. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking Cameron in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and first thing i gotta say to everybody is happy new year welcome to 2023 where hope springs eternal and hopefully this is a good year for everybody but most importantly we hope it's a good year for the band just like we had last year in 2022 so we don't have any information on any of that yet whether it will be but I'm thinking they can't go another year without touring, so something's going to happen. There's been hints, there's been discussions, but it's nothing that we have on the official docket, but we really do hope that it's another big year of touring for Ed and the Boys, and then I think it will help us have a great 2023. But that's besides the point. Now let's get into a little bit of 2023 with Live on Four Legs podcast because the first episode you're getting today is different. This is not the normal show that we would do because this is a radio broadcast. Self-Pollution Radio from 1995. And yeah, I think the decision of doing this was just let's do something different. Let's do something that might even be a little bit challenging in a way and tell stories that come from a different perspective. So this will be interesting. If you got cassette tapes, you might want to put it in and, and flip them over when it comes time, because 
Who knows how late we'll be running here. We can go for four hours on this if we go every minute to the exact from where this was being recorded. But I won't keep you that long. But I will say, Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You know, this also kind of took place around this time, like early January. Yeah. So uh, kind of of in the mood for it. Yeah, this is cool. I mean, going back to this brought back a a lot of good memories. I'm excited to, to talk about it. We kind of did this last minute too. This wasn't planned like for a long time. We were kind of like debating how to start the year off. This came up and yeah, it's a good idea. I'm excited. And then we did get a suggestion that we should do Monkey Wrench from 98. And that would be a cool way to maybe finish the year off of. I don't know, like thinking about that. It'll be in the back of our minds, but you know, you never know if, if people really like it and people kind of get the flashback aspect of it, then yeah, we'll, we'll think about it, but we're going to start off here. And as John said, he listened to this and I didn't, I was only eight years old, so I didn't know about any of this. And Pearl Jam was not really a part of my life outside of, Hey, MTV might be on. And I recognize that guy, but yeah, John, you did the whole thing. And the whole thing, I think that's sort of where everybody's memory is going to come into play here. Memory of staying up late, memory of flipping over tape. So just go into the whole thing, go into how it all worked. Yeah, so I was 16 at the January of 95. And just at the height of my Pearl Jam obsession slash fandom at that point, like anything and everything, I wanted to get my hands on it. So I remember when they announced this, that, you know, the local alternative station, 99X, which is evidently back as of yesterday, uh, interestingly enough. Um, yeah. They announced that they, you know, they were going to carry it. So we're, we're going to get to hear this this broadcast in its entirety. So I think it, it was like a Sunday night, which was weird, too, because it was a school night. And I remember, like... Oh, I'm gonna have I'm gonna stay up late, like fuck school the next day, like just gonna go be a be a zombie and deal with it. But yeah, got the blank tapes out, ready to go. I think it started like maybe nine o'clock or ten o'clock even, started super late. And just yeah, it's it's hard to capture and remember because like I've forgotten a lot about, you know, when I was sixteen, but the excitement that you feel when like your favorite band is doing this thing where like you're gonna get to hear them talk and you're gonna get to hear them play and like it's gonna be a kind of an, an insight into something that you don't really get. Like I don't know if any band had ever done like anything like this ever before. Just insane. And yeah, I just remember being locked into the radio, like ready to record as he started talking as they kicked to it and then it was just man i'm i'm just in heaven listening to this thing i i I remember you know going back and listening to it now god nearly 30 years later brought back a lot of like oh yeah i distinctly remember hearing that and like stuff that he says in between the songs then when he talks to people and like flipping the tape i don't i might have even had 120 minute tapes either every 45 minutes, every hour, flipping the tape, and then starting to fade out at, like, 1, one thirty in the morning, trying to, like, stay up and, like, flip the tape over. I think I made it the last tape flip and then crashed out and had to listen to the, the rest of it the next day. And there's a, there's a story from the next day, too, that I'll save for the end. But, uh, yeah, just a, a lot of good memories. I remember this. just remember being burned the next day. Probably had to get up at, like, 6.30 or 7 for school and, like, just dealt with it it was worth it 
Now, when you did the research for the show, did you do it through cassette or did you actually listen to it on more yeah. e- easier means? Yeah, I did listen to it on the computer for the sake of quality and to, to preserve the cassette taste. But I, I do have a, a cassette player somewhere, but I would have had to hook it up to the computer, I think. So it's just easier to just do that. But I think the third tape, I think, is lost to history, but I still have the first two. So pretty impressive, yeah. I'm sure there are people out there that can probably dig through all their tapes and find one, maybe two, or maybe none. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. It was it was a late night, so must have been tricky. And now it's interesting that you say that you had the whole thing because there were a couple broadcasts that cut this out. Like after mm-hmm. uh, I think three hours was supposed to be the maximum amount of time, and they obviously went over their time limit. But Atlanta carried this the whole entire way. Yeah, they did. I mean, Atlanta's a big market. It's not like you know Dubuque or something. No offense to Dubuque, but I mean, well, it's, Dubuque. A, it's a it's a big like you know, big market. Nyanx, big station. So yeah, they went through the whole time. He mentions that that they 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 were losing some people here and there, but I think most of the, like the big marketplaces carried the whole thing. Now, if we're talking about the story about how this materialized, it actually starts in Atlanta. And most of you people that think Atlanta back in 1994, 1995, of course, the answer that is going to come to your head first is going to be the Fox Theater show, and that one was broadcast over the airwaves. And after that, Ed got to do a little bit of DJing himself as he sat in a van and spun records for about an hour or so. And it was basically songs from some of his favorite and some more obscure artists. And and I think that whole thing ended up getting set up by Epic and worked really well. So when they wanted to do, do something like this again, they went back to Epic and asked them, hey, can we do a full show? And their sell on it was apparently, this is cheaper than doing a music video. And they agreed, and that's how it kind of got put all together. They got the funding from it, and now it was kind of like, okay, where's the location? What are we going to do with it? And you would think that you know, for the money that you're getting from a major record company that they're going to set you up in a pretty nice studio and they'll give you band space and on and on and on. But no, they're doing it at Ed's house. And I don't, I don't even think this was his for, I think this was like a, a shack or something that he owned. I don't even think he was living there at the time. I think it was just like an out of the way kind of hideout that he was using that was kind of off of the highway because like some of the clips you can see cars like in the background speeding by and like there's yeah, like yeah. a big fence. I think this is just like a place that he owned and like that that it was kind of out of the way that they could be left alone for everybody because the last thing you want is people crashing this thing. Absolutely no. And I thank you for clarifying that because when I saw, you know, there is footage of this mostly practice footage, rehearsal footage, and there is a shot where they show the outside of it and it just looks like a crappy little dilapidated house. People said that they were doing the whole thing from Ed's bedroom or something like that. And that's what I thought I had read initially. 
And I, you got to look at the floor in that in that video, and there's absolutely no way that that would be a bedroom floor. It's covered with yeah. like dried up paint, and it's. I think Chris Cornell says right before they play, he says, "Oh, I'll spill coffee in the kitchen. I'll clean it up after we play." Yeah, it's right. Like they they weren't they weren't too worried about about keeping. Like I don't think this was an actual place that he was living. That makes a whole lot of sense. That makes a whole lot of sense now that. Because like he had, he had, they had had the stalker issue around yep. this time. I think he mm-hmm. he just had a he wanted a place where he could just kind of get away and like hide out. So we're gonna call this place Lukens too. Hey, call it whatever you want. Well, I'm saying like it, mo- yeah. most of his getaway stuff back then was obviously at yeah. Matt Lukens' house. Who we'll hear from in this show? Who we'll definitely hear True. from? True. Yeah. So this wasn't really a one-off thing or two off, I should say, for counting the Atlanta, you know, that whole entire summer tour that they were doing kind of on the West Coast there. Ed would continue doing this in a pirate radio sense, riding in a van from state to state. It was kind of thing where, you know, they were stuck on a station like 88.1, and if you were on the road following them within a 5 to 10 mile radius, you'd be able to hear them. And they did it throughout the whole entire tour. And that kind of, we talked about it before, how it sort of alienated some of his band members. And they're like, what, weren't, you know, are we not good enough to tour and travel with? And yeah, it was, I think, a weird time for Ed. And maybe doing something like this was kind of a way to, I don't know, keep him balanced and just sort of keep him happy throughout the whole Ticketmaster thing that's going on and, and really taking a toll on everybody at the time. So we have a lot of content to cover. We have some live performances. We have, you know, some Ed DJing and some songs that he played and we'll kind of, we'll run down the whole thing. We're not going to get into some of the, the songs that he played and like what those songs are about. We'll, we'll kind of spare some of those details, but we'll talk about the live music, especially on Pearl Jam's end. And, you know, we got live music from Mad Season and Soundgarden too. I think we have to go over that a little bit. And also Fastback's Mud Honey, you know, worth mentioning, of course. So why not just get into this? You hear as the open intro for this, it's going to be I Davinita to start the broadcast. And, you know, it's kind of like a late semi promotion because the, the album was out, I guess, a month and a half at that point. But this was almost in a way like some of those shows that were sort of rehearsal shows, like uh, I'm thinking Showbox in 1996 or Bellingham, that they showcased all of their album songs before actually going out on tour. Because in in about a couple days' time, they would go to D.C. and go play a Vote for Choice benefit, which they'll talk about a lot on this broadcast. And about a month later, I think, is the pretty big South Pacific tour. So this kind of felt like it was sort of a warm up for all that. Yeah. It's kind of a way to get all your friends together. Cause like, you know, think in 1995 grunge quote unquote is pretty much over. Like Kurt's gone and they, they, they kind of like scattered and this is like kind of a chance for everybody to kind of get together and have like a kind of a going away party. Cause you get everyone from the big four, even the big five, if you include mud honey, you've got, I was going to mention that how, yeah. how many times in our history have a member of each and I'm not talking recent, but like in yeah. the prime been together in the same location. 
Maybe this might never. Be it. Because you get you get Chris Novoselic from Nirvana. Obviously, we're going to talk about Dave's tape that gets played. You've got Lane playing with Mad Season. Then you've got you know Soundgarden does a set and, and Pearl Jam and Mud Honey, and it's maybe the the last time or even the first time that they were all in the same place. All right, why don't we talk about Ed here? He's uh, like, hello, am I on? Hey, yo, let's go. Self-pollution, air pollution, noise pollution, pre-pollution, post-pollution, face pollution, hair solution, pollution. Not enough solutions to our many complex problems these days. Now, that feels like something you kind of never forget, right? Oh, absolutely. One of the most memorable parts of this is the very beginning. And, uh, you know, for a lot of this, and mostly, I would say, the intro and outro of this, there's so much going on, and Ed's just kind of talking a little bit in circles, but kind of talking, we're just going to give, like, a general sense for some of this stuff. But he talks about change, and he gets into the importance of voting and dangerous politicians and for misinformation, which we kind of know about these days, and has a great line here. Again, I could sound like politician and I'm not I'm just a guy and uh, we've got politicians behaving like rock stars and rock stars behaving like well rock stars will always be rock stars but fuck rock stars Uh, tonight uh, here we've got musicians I remember that because it felt like at the beginning too he was trying not to curse like he knew he was on the radio and like trying to keep it cool but he just loses and he's kind of fuck rock stars. Like there's a little bit of like, Oh, just screw it. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go off. And like, you're getting kind of his like unfiltered opinions. And like, we always talk about, you know, when he's on stage, he's vulnerable and like, he kind of lets you in with these stories and like, you can always tell like how he's feeling for this to be around this time. And you're just, just hearing him talk, just, unfiltered you just like the guy's just talking to you and you get the sense that like he was comfortable he's with his friends like he it didn't feel like he you know let the moment get to him obviously he's been on stage in front of thousands of people but you just felt like the guy was just talking to you it's like oh he's like a regular guy he's just talking like he would talk to you if you were there like it was super cool yeah and they didn't do any interviews at that yep. time, like anything after versus, they did a bunch for 10, but anything after versus, they were like, no, we want out of this spotlight. They wouldn't take an interview for the Time Magazine. They wouldn't do other interviews. And yeah, like it's a little weird that they're considered the biggest band on the planet and you just didn't get to learn much more about them than what you saw live. So that's a good point that you bring up there but he says we're gonna have many live performances tonight there's gonna be discussions about women's reproductive rights and i have a record in front of me and i'm just gonna play some songs so it's a good kickoff to all this it's a song that i think a lot of people know teenage riot from sonic youth and i'll go through some of these we won't talk about for more than like two seconds or so but for some of these songs i think i'd like to connect them back to Pearl Jam somehow and uh, Sonic Youth is is an easy one because obviously they're an inspiration and you know Ed really looks up to them and that kind of all turned into in 2000 when they're on tour the first shows that they're playing after Ross killed and Sonic Youth is right there and they're like kind of helping these guys through this thing and that's sort of you know an unsung monumental moment 
within this band's history. Absolutely, yeah. Sonic Youth is like the godfathers of all of this music, basically. They, you know, been around forever. I think, too, this is the song that Ed picked. I think there was a curated Sonic Youth compilation that came out, I think, after they had broken up, where a bunch of different musicians and stuff picked their favorite Sonic Youth song to be on this compilation. And, of course, I think Ed picks Teenage Riot, so... Yeah, no surprise. He's always talked about his, his love for the song, so no surprise that it kicks it off here. Yup. Uh, the next one's going to be Don't You Ever by Slant 6. Fun, punky song. The only thing that's worth mentioning is that it Discord, is... Discord band. Discord band. That's yeah. that's exactly what I was going to say. That is connection to Fugazi. I'm very surprised they didn't play a Fugazi song at this show. Do you think it's like they're kind of like anti-radio, sort of anti-being in public broadcast sort of thing? Yeah, I think that's out of respect. He was like, they don't want the exposure, so I'm going to give it to bands who who actually use that. And I think it, he mentions to him when he's oh, at the end. I think he's oh, I hope hope none of the bands mind that I played their songs. Yeah, right. Um, I think out of respect, he he wasn't going to have Fugazi played over a commercial radio. And then they're going to kind of cap it off before going to play some live stuff with a band called Clark Kent. The song is "Away from Home." And Clark Kent, if you didn't know, Stuart Copeland was in Clark Kent, Stuart Copeland of the police. And we actually talked about them a little bit last year. I can't remember what show it was. It was probably something in either 1993, 1994, whatever we got to get to last year. I thought it was 98, maybe even. Was it a 98 one? 96 or 98. It could have been. But there's a sound check that happened that they played a Clark Kent song in. And that's kind of that connection right there. It's not the same song, but, you know, still like the police huge influence. So it makes a lot of sense. I didn't know about this at the time. I thought this was just some underground, like new wave punk band that he had discovered. I didn't find out until almost like when we talked about it, that this was an old thing that had Stuart Copeland in it. Yeah, I guess it makes sense in hindsight, yeah, yeah. I suppose. Right? Yeah. They played a clip go before going into the and A lot of this is just kind of filling the dead air time from Ed leaving the trailer because he's spinning records in a trailer that is outside of the house. And he need, he obviously needs time to kind of go and set up and, and give some space for there not be any dead air or anything like that. And it sounds like before they get into it, they played a clip of, I want to say it was Ozzy, going on some kind of rant saying, this is a rock and roll show and not a tea party. I think it was Ozzy Osbourne. All right. Now we get into the first mini set that they're going to have. There's going to be five songs. All five in this section are going to be all Vitalogy songs. So Spin a Black Circle opening up. This is and should be the considered the official inaugural performance of Jack Irons. <laughs>
They're playing in this room that has a monstrous mod logo on the wall, the Who logo with the, the blue circle and the red circle inside the white circle. You probably know exactly what it looks like. And the band is kind of set up in this sort of circle as well, where Jack, Jeff, and Stone are kind of facing where the camera is, at least when you're watching the rehearsal videos. And then Ed's kind of behind the cat camera. He's looking directly at Jack or Stone, and then Mike is to his left. So this is a setup that we really haven't seen ever. Maybe the only one that kind of comes to mind is when they did the AOL sessions. That was kind of in a circle a little bit, but you're in someone's living room like there's not enough room for them to be all straight across from each other it's not like there's a stage they're just playing in a room it really feels like you're listening to them practice almost there's like a voyeuristic quality to it because like at the end you can hear there's like a few people clapping and you can tell there's maybe 20 or 30 people there watching but it's very different than what we're used to hearing so it's like you get that sense immediately that like you're listening to something that you either shouldn't be listening to or you know you you won't ever get to listen to again and it just adds a little bit of like mystery and craziness to it i remember as soon as spin the black circle started it was like oh my god this is just amazing being able to hear this like it felt like you were getting access to something that you never would have access to what a song for for jack to start off on my god great version of spin the black circle here let me ask you, since it was officially announced much later in the show that it would be Jack, did you know? Because he, he doesn't say Jack's name at all in like the um, first half of the show. Did you know that that was Jack playing back there? Probably because I think it, you know, on Vitalogy, you know, it says like drums on Hey Fox Mop and Mama, Jack Irons. I think there were rumors on the internet, the nascent internet at the time that like he was he was there. I think I knew it's it's hard to go back and remember exactly but I don't think it was a surprise like I don't I don't know if I even knew who Jack Irons was like I wasn't a big Chili Peppers guy like 11 I think I had heard of but I wasn't like familiar with their stuff but you didn't know the um, Mama San story yet oh uh, yeah I think I knew that but like you hear like oh he gave this gave the guy a tape but like okay who's that guy I don't know like, right Jones, you're not paying Peppers, attention okay to that. yeah yeah I think I knew the name, but like I didn't know anything about him. So the next one that they're playing here is Satan's Bed. And it was one of the lesser played songs on that 1994 run where they did some Vitalogy songs. You know, this was kind of one of the more deeper cuts off of Vitalogy when you're getting a very, very strong side A. And it's kind of in between like the Idavanitas and Bugs. It's in this weird spot in the record. But, you know, now it seems like if you're listening to this, it kind of is getting more of a showcase on this. And it's a fun sounding version. It sounded like Stone was really, really into it. And even like the ending was a little bit of a mess. Like you can kind of see where it went off the rails just a little bit. And what's interesting is in the rehearsals, you actually see Stone kind of talking to them and kind of replaying the riff to, to show them where everything was coming from and what the pace should be and all that. But he had some really, really good pieces to this. There's a part where it sounded like he was almost screeching a little bit. Like, I think that came in one of the verses. Like, Stone was on for this one. I thought he sounded very, very good. Just find examples in a little 
it almost made me think of like, man, what if this had been played every night? What if it had become one of like the staples of the set? Like, in love already? Like, if that had become like a big Great crowd chance. thing and like could have been something really cool but maybe yeah i mean this is only the third performance overall so compared to the three that come after i mean it's one of the i hate to hesitate to say weakest but comparatively performances of the night and you kind of wonder if like oh, okay maybe after this they were like mm, maybe we take a break from that one for a while and, and put it on put it on the shelf and just break it out occasionally but it's a little insight into like man what, what could have been with the song because they played through pretty straight like I said, the stone's all over it. It sounds good. I mean, you're not going to get many versions like this, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, and you, you know what? I, I think that another reason why it kind of became an afterthought is just because most of the rest of the record are, like, staple live yeah. songs to this day. Yeah. Right From Last Exit to Nothing Man to Better Man, Immortality, Not For You. Like, these songs are... Nashville, where they played six songs off of it? Yeah. I mean, a lot of these don't go away. And Satan's Bed is maybe kind of the only one that really did out of the ones that, you know, were kind of in rotation in a way. And it's Tremor Christ, too. But, yeah. you know, we'll talk about Tremor Christ when we get to that point. But, hey, another one that gets played just about every single show is Corduroy. I thought that this version, just that perfect pocket groove, I thought that Jack was kind of setting that. And everything just sort of felt consistent in all the performances found so far. One of the reasons that this version is so good is that you get all, they're all together in the same room. Like they can reach out and touch each other. And like, like I said before, that adds something to a band when you can like hear the amps and you're not hearing it through a PA speaker and like you're feeling the vibrations coming off of everyone like this version of Corduroy it's hands down one of the best things they've ever done I think like the intro is a little bit extended I love this it gets like kind of hypnotic he lets it like go for a minute like really builds the tension very very well you could break the tension in this song with a knife there was something in the room for this and the thing that that's different from you know arena versions that you're gonna get is this gets real quiet before it explodes at the end. Like they go way way down with them. You can almost hear them playing just so quietly. You never are gonna hear that in any other version of Corduroy. And then yeah, when it comes in, it's just like let Mike and Jack take over. Like this is a perfect version of Corduroy. I love this. Yeah, that was all happening on that bridge to the end there, where it just kind of feel like one chord was held out while Jeff just didn't really have to do much. He kind of just set down like a pretty like droning note before building up and getting into that very strong ending right there. And even then, like there's a solid jam at the end of that. Like it's got some anger to it. Like he's putting some feeling behind it. And, like they're going for it. I mean, the, this like I said, with that these are all early versions of these Vitality songs. This is only the sixth Corduroy ever, and like it's already like oh my god, that's their best song. Like hands down.
Not For You is following up on Corduroy. And I thought the whole time during Not For You is that, you know, there are four songs into this set. Jack really hasn't played with them at all. And just during Not For You, I was just kept thinking the whole time, it's amazing how well they gelled with Jack. And there was no transitional period where they needed to get to kind of know each other. And, you know, maybe even live where it's a little bit different in rehearsals. If you got to take a stop and then stop and figure it out and then go back to it. But yeah, they're already tight. They're already together. It's so professional sounding in that aspect that a lot of other drummers can come into that and maybe not exactly keep up with everything and maybe not be able to set the drive and set the pace. But during Not For You, I, I just kept thinking about how Jack was absolutely right on with it and perfect with it. And especially being such a different kind of drummer than their previous one too that can send some bands out into left field like man such an abrupt switch from what they had before just in terms of feel and how it plays and so you know the interaction between the drummer and the bass player is one of the most important things in a band like if you don't have that it all falls apart but the way that Jack and Jeff just immediately locked in together and I'm, you picture just like days and weeks and hours of, of rehearsal time over that winter of 94, like after they figured out that Jack was going to be the guy getting ready to go on that tour, just you can tell they spent the time and like locked in and just played to get a feel for how he plays because like so different than the way Dave was playing these things. But yeah, I'm with you not for you. There's not a single thing wrong with it. It's just perfection like it just pummels you from the very beginning like jack sounds amazing ed's perfect on it i mean it's a near perfect version of not for you one of the best yeah jack has to put his own spin on everything and these are all new songs and outside of the people that got to see and not for you was probably played one of the most out of those vitality songs in 1994 but outside of those shows and the record you don't have any other thing to go back on and really it's just the record so jack has to put his own spin on it and kind of make it feel enough like what you're hearing on the record and what you're comfortable with on the record and then take that and kind of turn it into what he is and who he is and that just kind of blends in and and makes it a perfect performance right there yeah it's a great example of that Already the, the 22nd performance of Not For You, yeah, definitely a lot more than the other Vitalogy songs here that are played.
Immortality is going to finish off your first five song run here. And it's taking on like this more sullen characteristic version at first. Of course, that's you got to just wait until Mike is able to hit the moment. But you aren't sure if it's going to come in this because, again, like when when Mike is hitting that big moment, it's usually in front of a massive crowd. And he's usually kind of gaining that momentum and kind of, you know, looking up at the sky to the thousands of people that are in attendance. But he's able to rip it on this, too. And it goes from from Ed to Mike to Jack in this and from where Mike's solo comes in and, and makes a tear all the way up to the end and the way that this just grooved at the end too and just built up just enough to let Jack go off just enough to finish perfectly. That was the most interesting aspect about this is that they didn't completely turn this to shreds like they would in 1995 on most occasions. They built it up just enough where you're able to get that little taste of it and that was more than enough being satisfied. Yeah, I don't know. We, we've talked about some good three-song runs over the shows we've covered, but I don't know if there's ever been a three-song run that Pearl Jam has done better than the, these three right here. I don't have a single bad thing to say about Immortality either. I mean, you mentioned Mike at the end, just out of this world. But the thing that gets me about this is just the way that it breathes at the beginning and the way they just, like, let it have space and just let it sit it doesn't need anything else it just it's a perfect way to just give the song in that tension that it needs and they're just you can tell they're comfortable like only the fourth time and where how is the song this good on the fourth time they played it the jam it gets like real spacey and kind of atmospheric and like you can almost hear the sound of the amps like in the room it's unbelievable So we're back to kind of spinning some records and waiting until Ed's back in the trailer, getting water, going to the bathroom, getting a drink, whatever. And uh, the first song coming out of that is going to be Walking the Cow by Daniel Johnston. And notable in Pearl Jam history, it's covered by Ed a few times, most notably at the Bridge School Show in 1994 that happened about three months or so before this. And there's a good story somewhere about Ed and Cornell, like just listening to this late at night and being like, 
this is so weird and then listening to it over and over again and and being able to find the beauty within the song like after the fourth or fifth play or something and this is a mike watt thing too i think Firehose was covering this early kind of in the early 90s yeah so there's there's a tie-in with mike watt as well they're going to play a lot from Zeke right here, and it's going to be West Seattle Acid Party, which I think most of you would know from the Orpheum show, where he kind of sang that one line and said, you guys ever heard of a band called Zeke? Ever heard of a band called The Frogs? You have good taste. Wouldn't know that from being at a Pearl Jam show. And then he he introduced the next song as Schmidt Rid, but they don't have a song named Schmidt Rid. There's another song with Schmidt. There's another song called yeah. Rid. So not was, sure what's he, going on there. He says there it's from a single. He said that, I guess it's because these songs yeah. were released technically on they were on their album that came right. out in '96. But I think there was probably a, a vinyl single, and he played the A side as what he had last party, and the B side is Schmidt and Rid, and he just read it as Schmidt Rid. He just ended yeah. up playing, yeah, yeah honest mistake. And there's going to be a lot of that in here, too. No, not mistakes, but them playing songs that weren't actually released at the time. Yeah, yeah. So Ed's kind of talking through this filtered mic now and starts playing some answering machine messages. One is D from L7, who's going to come back in this later, singing Jingle Bell Rock. We get a very, very entertaining Matt Lucan message. (laughs) Let's just listen to that. Uh, listen up, fuckers. This is Lucan over here. Uh, I don't know if you fuckers are in town or not, but uh, Peters is having a little gathering uh, for a little, little New Year's Eve, uh, little New Year's Eve party. Nothing, nothing huge. Just a few people over to get drunk and fall down. But uh, don't think you guys are in town. But just in case you are, I'd let you know. Anyway. Yeah, I hope you had a Merry Christmas and uh, uh, Happy New Year and uh, whatever else. I'll continue hating the world and everybody else uh, in it for the next year or two. Hadn't started off too good. I went out to my recycling bin to take some shit out there and noticed that the neighbors have been filling their fucking shit, putting their shit in it. So I searched through all their fucking McDonald's sacks and I found a couple of envelopes with their address. So I think I'm just going to wheel it down to their house and put it in their front yard. Spread it in their front yard. Anyway, I'll be talking to you guys later. Later. If that's what was all going on at Lucan's right there, then... That was pretty wild. <laughs> he's, uh, he's a character. Someday they'll make the movie. Yeah, right. There was somebody in this that got wasted and threw up under a table in a Mexican restaurant. And then somebody, uh, the guy's name was Mike, said at Christmas Eve he wanted to kill his family. So those were some messages. And that gets right into the song Silly Girl by The Descendants, one of my favorites, I think one of your favorites as well. Of course, of course. And there's not really a direct connection between Pearl Jam and The Descendants, but one little thing is that, if you remember the shirt that Jeff was wearing during the Hall of Fame, on the back it listed all of the bands that he thought deserved to be a Hall of Fame band, and The Descendants were definitely on that list, so... And I want to say he may have wore a Milo shirt at one of the shows. Can't confirm that, but I seem to have a memory of that. The Fastbacks are going to play live right here. 
They had opened up for Pearl Jam a bunch in 1995, and the three songs that they're going to play are On Your Hands, Run No More, and Old Address of the Unknown. I believe it was Run No More that wasn't officially released at this time. I think the other two were. Mm. But I thought they were all from their album, but that had just come out, but maybe not. Yeah, no, I, I went through it. I made a playlist, okay. which if you want yeah. the playlist, I'll be more than happy to share it with you. Live on 4Lux Podcast at gmail.com. I'll, I'll send you a link to it. Yeah, what did you think of the Fastbacks? I think they were okay. Nothing offensive, but also nothing overly spectacular. Yeah, I, I, I like the Fastbacks. And, like, they're a band that you sometimes, like, forget about, but they've been around since 1979. Like, they That's were insane. an establishment in Seattle, and they just one of those bands that like just never got the break they never had the hit song that like sent them into the forefront of everyone's mind they never had the big radio hit like some other bands did but yeah i mean a great songwriting like kurt block is a great songwriter gives some female perspective on this thing it's not just a boys club i mean you do get d from l7 and a couple of people get to talk but as far as the bands are playing this is really the only female representation so that's cool but yeah the fastbacks are just a great kind of pop punk band they write catchy songs and they're they're just great. I mean, I remember them off from Hype, too, and the song of theirs that's in Hype is great, Like, but they're a band that I never think to go back and, like, get their records. Again, I have nothing at all against them. I love the punky stuff. I love the kind of fun pop-punk kind of thing, but, yeah, just not something... It wasn't in my wheelhouse of punk when I was listening to punk the most. I'll just say that. Spinning a little bit more here, Gas Huffer, More of Everything, and then they're going to go into a spoken word thing from John S. Hall from King Missile. And the spoken word thing is a little restraint is what it's called. After that is going to be a band called The Gits with a song called Guilt Within Your Head. I thought that this song in particular was very, very good. Getting into the Home Alive section here. That's right. Yep, that's right. So he mentions it, and then we bring on Val Agnew from Seven Year Bitch and Dave Minert from Greta. I've heard of Seven Year Bitch. I don't know anything about Greta. So that's, but they talk about like this just fucked up and weird story here. First time I knew about it, but like the reaction to hear about how the Gits lead singer was raped and murdered like a year and a half before this time period. And that's why they were kind of creating the home alive record, hearing that live when they're talking about it. What, what was your reaction to all that? I don't know if I knew about that. Yeah. Just, I mean, I'm on the edge of my seat listening to this whole thing. I'm just trying to take it all in, like hearing these people talk and like, again, I, I knew who seven year bitch was, I do not know who Greta is, but yeah, I'm super interested in Home Alive. I mean, I went out and got that, you know, double CD the day it came out. The spoken word stuff on there is great. There's all kinds of, I mean, I probably got it for the Pearl Jam song, the, the leaving here that's on there. But there's great stuff all up and down that thing, including some of the stuff that they play here. And yeah, Mia Zapata from the Gits, like, was not the only one who was raped and murdered in, in Seattle. You're getting some politics in here that, like, you're never going to hear on the radio. Like, the little restraint thing, the keep your mouth off my sisters, which is coming up. Like, you would never hear stuff like that on the radio. That was all, like, just open my 16-year-old mind. Like, oh, my God, I would never have heard this stuff in Rome, Georgia. 
Home Alive benefited a nonprofit that raised awareness about violence in community and specifically helped with self-defense to teach people how to defend themselves. Ed actually mentions normal self-defense classes are very expensive, so that kind of helped raise money to help people in those situations. And as you mentioned, keep your mouth off my sisters. That was a Bobby Miller thing. We talked about that a little bit last year, too, because... That was actually an intro into leaving here where Ed said the name of this next song is Keep Your Mouth Off of My Sisters. And this is pretty wild. This is pretty raunchy. And he's pretty open and honest about this. So this is this is something I don't think we're going to play it on the pod right now. But yeah, this is this is kind of wild. Well, yeah, I think Ed says like, oh, if you, if you don't like this one, then. Oh, well, or something like he, yeah. he knows he knows what he's about to play. Yeah, I'm sure there were some FCC guys that made a couple phone calls right after this. But, well, <laughs> it's more than 25 years later, so I guess it doesn't really matter anymore. Dancing French Liberals of 48. The song is Dancing Foreign Language. That is the new band with the remaining members of the Gits after the lead singer was murdered. And now we jump into the Mud Honey live set. It's going to be three songs off of the, at that time, unreleased My Brother the Cow record. I've never really been much of a Mud Honey guy, probably in the same way that I was not really a Fastbacks guy. But I know that, that you like Mud Honey a whole lot. So these three songs, I think you were saying before we started recording, that these are three of your favorite Mud Honey songs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I. I did go through kind of a mud honey phase in the in the early 90s as a lot of people did like the super fuzz big muff stuff and the self-titled album which is really good but i think my brother the cow is probably my favorite mud honey record and these three Better songs every every good boy deserves fudge yeah i think so I, I like i like this one the best a lot of that is due to these three songs i think especially the judgment rage retribution in time and then what moves the heart it's funny too, you know, Mark Arm just like, here's the first song on our record. Here's the second song. And then I still remember like the quote before when Moves Art is like, it answers the musical question, what moves the heart? And like Mark Arm just I uh, I would love to see footage of them playing. Like, yeah, these are these are three of my favorite Mud Hunting songs. This is really good as well. Like Ed and Zone are going to play some records from Loose Groove bands here. And the first one up is Weapon of Choice. The song is You Owe It To You. But we got Outcast that's being spun right here. It seems like Stone is really excited to spin some Outcast. Oh, man. I really want to know if Stone tried to sign Outcast to Loose Groove. I mean, that might have been sort of his gateway to be like, hey, guys, I'm playing your song. Like, come to Seattle. But, you know, Atlanta guys. And it's 1995, I think, for most people that kind of know sort of where Outkast came from and, and when their songs were super popular started happening in like the late 90s and then kind of escalating in the mid-2000s a little bit. But in 1995, they were not very known at all. And coming from somebody from Atlanta, was this like your first introduction into them? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely, because like the place I grew up is about an hour northwest of the city, so I was not like indicator in College Park, those kind of areas. This is early for Outcasts. Like I think this is off Southern Playlistic Cadillac Music, which was out. 
maybe 93 or 94. Maybe I think they're only full length at the time, so they definitely were not a huge thing. I mean, we were talking about it before. I think the big thing they won the like the best new artist at the Source Awards in '95, and Andre 2000 got up and was like, "Oh, you know, the the South got some to say. That's all I got to say," and that kind of like put them on the map. But this was even before that. So I remember hearing this song and like, you know, the guy comes on at the end and does the spoken word part about like all different parts of Atlanta, like College Park, East Point, home of this and home of this. And like, I'm like, man, like I know those places. Like that's, I've been there. And like home with the motherfucking outcasts. And like that just, oh yeah, it just sticks with you. And like you go back later and like, oh man, like it was 1999, I think when Stankonia came out and they blew up. But yeah, this is one of the one of the earliest. I think maybe the first time I'd ever heard of it. The song, as we got to mention here, is "Ain't No Thing Like a Chicken yeah, Wing," and I think that one kind of had some late popularity to it because I remember hearing this song a couple yeah. times in different yeah. places. Stone leaves. Jeff enters. He's looking for something to play. Kind of goes through it, and then plays something kind of Motownish that they're kind of having a laugh about it. I'm unfamiliar with it, but. There's like this little mixtape section right here that has a couple of bites from Tom Waits, Iggy Pop, Noam Chomsky, and some other people. Let's talk about this for just a second because I think it's super cool that like Ed was like, hey, I'm going to bring you on to talk. You can play whatever you want. And like Stone came up and played Weapon of Choice from the Talked About Loose Groove, did his thing. And Jeff is like, I'm going to make a mixtape and just come on and play the mixtape. Cause like you know he he put this together from like stuff that he had, and just came on and was like oh here here's here's my little tape that I have and like they're playing cassettes and like playing records and playing dat tapes I think at one point someone has a dat tape it's just super cool like this is a mixtape that Jeff made to play on this thing that's super cool. All right, well now we kind of get this special surprise that he kind of says everybody get their tape player ready these songs are unreleased. And he says it's kind of this amalgamation. It's Mike, it's Lane, it's uh, Barrett Martin, it's Screaming Trees. And he says, oh, um, Mike's friend Baker, Mike's friend Baker. And, you know, John Baker Saunders, he was like a jazz or blues musician before getting into all this. And then Mike met him in rehab. Was there actual information out about Mad Season before this performance or was this like everybody's first taste of them it was definitely the first taste musically i think we had heard that like something was going to happen because they had some time like there were always rumors of like side projects and stuff happening but this was the first time i think anyone had heard the songs there is video for these bad season performances as well like you should definitely go check it out it's so fucking good and just to see see lane play guitar too which you almost never see but yeah i remember you know i love the mad season record even when it came out like it was such a different thing but definitely they picked the two songs that were like the hardest and the most like riffy to play on this they didn't get into any of like the super long stuff or the super quiet stuff right we got lifeless dead and then i don't know anything yeah i I love the performance of i don't know anything here it kind of it just reminded me of like if you're making a combination between Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains, and it really it leaned more Alice in Chains because it was just a lot darker than what Pearl Jam had put together at the time, and it it just had that feel of like channeling what Jerry Cantrell would write. Somebody. 
was a popular supergroup, and after this, like, Mark Lanigan kind of got involved with it, and then Lane, really in the late 90s, was in no shape to really do anything. He was kind of in a really bad spot, and obviously a couple of years later, he would overdose. Yeah, it's just, it's just a shame that they only got to do the one album that it never kind of turned anything else. I know they did, like, the orchestra performance of some of the songs and everything, but, I mean, River of Deceit was, like, a big radio hit that year. I mean, I, you, could, you could hear that a lot. So I think a lot of people, when you talk about, you know, side projects, whatever, I think Mad Season is one of the ones that people really like. I love that record. Like I said, it's so, it's so dark, but it also is like, it's, it has like a mood to it. And you can definitely pick up on that with songs. I mean, this is one you can, in the video, I think you even see Ed in the video at one point sitting on a couch. This might be the one where afterwards he's like, oh, I forgot I had to go to it. I was, I was watching the band. I had to go run in. Yeah, it looks really cool. I mean, I, just a really cool thing that they were able to pull off and just to be in the right place at the right time for them to play. Yep. And this was kind of Mike's project after rehab that he went through. You know, after that 1994 tour, and as I mentioned, uh, he met John Baker Saunders there, and the band and the addition of Lane was kind of a way to keep him around guys who were staying sober so he wouldn't have a relapse. So, And I think John Baker Saunders has passed away since then, too. I don't he actually, he didn't, make, he didn't make it out of the 90s. Right. right. Yeah, I think he had a, a heroin overdose in 1999, I believe I read. Yeah. So... All right, let's actually pause here, station identification, the whole thing, and go into Patreon. We have a lot more to get to, so we'll be pretty quick on the Patreon whole thing. Let's thank some people before we say anything else. We did have that holiday party, which was fantastic. Everybody that showed up, thank you so much. We had such a fun time. And, I mean, Richard Stewart showed up, and that was a blast, and he was so much fun to talk to. And uh, hopefully you guys got to listen to that Richard Stewart episode, because it's out. It's on, it's on the platform, so if you haven't got a chance to listen to that yet, definitely go back. It's very short. It's like 40 minutes long. It's, it's really not much, but I think you'll, you guys will really enjoy it. But yeah, that night we got a couple of new patrons that kind of came aboard, and uh, let's let's thank those guys right now. So let's thank first Travis Howell, who I had talked with before in the past. Uh, he joined up on the Horizon Leg tier, so thank you so much to Travis. And then we're going to thank Lori Jernberg, who was great to talk to and great to hang with at the party. She joined up to the Giggle Egg tier. Wendy Johnson, who I absolutely adore. She's a wonderful human being. And we got to meet at See Her Now and then caught up a couple other times at the shows this year. And she's just a wonderful person. Uh, she joined up on the Giggle Egg tier. So thank you so much, Wendy. And Christy Chapman also joined up on the Bonus Leg. Christy's another one that I've talked to a couple times. So great to have her aboard. And thank you to the four of you for joining the Patreon family. You know, we're going to do some more Patreon stuff in 2023. I think we're not getting out of the gate with something right away, but we'll have stuff as January goes on. I'm sure we'll get to more of the late night series and we're going to get to probably another evolution episode in the next couple of months, maybe no later than March, I hope, but we'll see where that goes. And it's all about just kind of supporting what we're doing right now. And, you know, we have thankfully have a ton of people that have been on board and really love what we're doing. But if you guys are interested in that, not only supporting us, but also getting more content, we already have a lot of content, but you can get more content, believe it or not. 
again, from what I mentioned, evolution episodes, late night series, just other stuff that we post to Patreon that doesn't really get posted to the social media platforms at all. We just love everybody that has put into it. So if you want to be one of those people, it can go as low as $1 a month. Or if you really want to save $2, then you can donate $10 as a one-time payment for the whole entire year. And that will get you a subscription for all of 2023 if you, if you sign up right now. So that's a great way to do it. And look, if you want to be part of the package where you want an episode request for yourself, then the Gigaleg tier is $5 a month. That'll get you that. If you want more than the Horizon Leg tier, which is $10 a month, that will get you your own request. That will get you your own profile. That will get you a profile on the website. And, you know, whenever we do stuff like set list drafts and things like that, the people that are on Patreon will always get the first opportunity to play those games and stuff because, you know, as as a thank you and obvious, you know, that, you know, they're helping out, they're throwing us over a couple bucks. So, yeah, thank you to everybody that joined. And if you want to join, it's patreon.com slash live on four legs or go to the Patreon app. And just search for Live on Four Legs or go to liveonfourlegs.com. A lot of what the Patreon donations go to is going into our website. There's a button on every page that says become a patron. Just click it. And that's what you got to do. That's it. Yeah, thanks to everyone who, who joined up at the holiday party. And again, like it's a new year. Great time to join up. We definitely got some cool stuff coming this year. So uh, thanks to all our patrons who continue to donate. And stay tuned because, uh, like you said, stuff coming down the pike pretty soon. All right. Well, that being said, back to The Rock. And there's a lot more to go here being a four-hour broadcast. But we come back, and I think this is kind of what you were saying before with Ed just kind of watching and, you know, being like, oh, shit, I got to I gotta leave to go do this thing. Because all three in a row here, we have another mixtape of, you know, stuff that Jeff put together, I'm guessing, another Iggy Pop, Tom Waits kind of thing. And then there's a song called Solitude from Jungle Oats, even though... It's, it's Three Fish. One reference I saw said Jungle Oats, and Five Horizons said Three Fish. Yeah, it is. It's from the, the album that, that came out. Yeah, speaking of, of Richard Stuverud, he gets a shout-out from Jeff there as being part of, of Three Fish. And then it is a Three Fish song from their album that will come out in 96. And then the next one after that, American Music Club. The song is The President's Test for Physical Fitness. Well, I like that I could, one. I, I thought could that go was off. Uh, American Music Club is one of my absolute favorite bands, one of the great underrated, underappreciated bands of, of all time. And there is actually a Pearl Jam connection to there on the rock line from Versus. I think Jeff gives a cryptic hint as to who they were playing with. He says, oh, their albums include Mercury and this, and he's talking about American Music Club there. And Mark Eitzel, the front man of American Music Club, is famously the guy that told Eddie that he hated the Jeremy video and said it ruined the song for him. A big reason that probably influenced them not to make any more videos. Here's an important facet. It was kind of brought up before, but now we're at the point where Ed has a tape for two Dave Grohl songs, this is the first time that we're hearing anything solo from him, that anything that was a hint of the Foo Fighters. Nirvana had been done for almost a year at that point. And, you know, this was just stuff that he recorded. And sometimes 
I guess in those situations, like you, you just kind of keep going on and, and you keep making music, you know, outside of any difficulty and grief that you're processing. But the first one that he plays is actually a cover of an angry Samoan song called Gas Chamber. I want to talk about this for a second. You may have heard me talk about this record before. This song, covered by the Foo Fighters and re-recorded and, and all that, was actually on one of my favorite compilations, the Fat Wreck album, Rock Against Bush, that came out back in 2003. And their cover of Gas Chamber was on that as well. So it's a fast song. It's like no more than like 45 seconds to a minute. And yeah, their version of it is fantastic. And it's very cool that Dave basically did everything. Like he was playing every yeah. instrument in this. And yeah, Angry Samoans were like early 80s, kind of that second wave of hardcore bands. But yeah, this is super cool. I think that recording is actually from that session, from this same session from 95. Like they, they re- I think it was part of the recording for the first Foo Fighters album, but they never released oh. it until then. Yeah. Cool. It might have been a, a B-side of one of the one of the singles, but didn't get a re-release. But to hear them talk about, I think Ed's, he's, there's a couple of people with him at this point. They're talking about the tape that Ed has. I think one of the girls from... I think it's Kim of the Fastbacks. Yeah, Kim from the Fastbacks says, oh, I was in Costa Rica on a mountain or something listening to it, and it just blew my mind. Like, yeah, this is like the first time the world is getting to hear the Foo Fighters, and they play Exhausted, which is just incredible. I remember like hearing this song, like, I love this song instantly, and I still do. Yeah, you can tell from very, very early on here that he he was going to turn something into something. This was a good seed that was planted, and that's how it kind of all came to be. It did mention, and there's going to be more Mike Watt talk in a little bit, but he was part of the recording sessions on Ball Hog or Tugboat, which, and, and did some touring for the record as well. Yeah. So yeah. all involved in that too, and I'm sure that was kind of a reason why not just playing the Dave Grohl stuff, but like they have more of a relationship from working on that record now. It's so early. They don't even mention Foo Fighters by name. doesn't even have a name yet. It's just Dave's Dave's tape. Yep. Yeah. The song after that is going to be Pain in My Heart by Babes in Toyland. And Ed talks a little bit about them afterwards. And he's like, "Ah, I I listened to the song in the car with the top down and said, I I could have drove the car off the cliff since it was such a great moment. That's um, it's just it goes like fry, fucking fry. Like, yeah, she gets angry in that song. It's real cool. Mm hmm. Okay, you want to get into some Soundgarden now? There's some Soundgarden for you. We can get into some Soundgarden. Okay. Yeah, they're going to have a four-song set right here. I'm not going to go through all the songs, I don't think, but there are some things to talk about. The first one being Blind Dogs from Basketball Diaries, which that's going to kind of come into play a little bit a little bit later. Uh, Fell on Black Days, which we're going to get into in two seconds. Kyle Petty, Son of Richard, and No Attention, which was on the Down on the Upside record that would come out a year later. Fell on Black Days. Now, this isn't the song that everybody knows from being a radio hit. What they did with this, it's so interesting because, you know, you wouldn't think of Fell on Black Days as being like a typical Soundgarden song, and I'm thinking like stuff that was on Bad Motorfinger, that kind of stuff, but... It seemed like with this version, they turned it into more of that signature Soundgarden style. Like, a lot of that obviously has to do with Cameron, but it was very interesting to kind of see this different take on this. <laughs> 
Yeah, they kind of like sounds like they're 80s, late 80s stuff almost. Yeah. And yeah, how about, I mean, I'm not the world's biggest Soundgarden fan by any means. I'm, I've never like gotten into them as much as I probably should and as much as they deserve. But looking back on this, like, how about them coming out and playing like B-sides, compilation songs, a song that wasn't released yet, reworking one of their radio songs, like super cool of them to come in and be like hey you know they could easily have come in here and played black hole sun and jesus christ pose and all that but no they're like we're gonna take this opportunity to to do some do some cool different shit so good for them the video of this too i think focuses a lot on on cameron so interesting too to go back and look at that and him just especially on i think cal petty's son of richard he just absolutely mauls that thing it's an incredible performance Black Days is probably my favorite Soundgarden song and I think this is known like within the Soundgarden community as like Black Days 3 or something it has like a specific name I guess there's a Black Days 2 which is another reworked version maybe but yeah. It's funny you mention that because you know what I was actually dubbing this. I was dubbing this No Black Days in the same way that Pearl Jam dubs No Jeremy. Sure. And I'm wondering if there's a connection here if they know of the three versions that are around and they're sort of thinking to themselves well you know we have to rework jeremy because we're just getting kind of tired of it and what can we do do you think and and no like they kind of go in the opposite direction that soundgarden did for the song but like do you think hearing this in this moment kind of you know came back like six months later and they thought like okay this is an option for us we we could try this and maybe no one will get mad at us i don't know if directly but probably you know them being in the same lineage and being fans of the same kind of bands growing up that were able to do this and like pearl jam and Soundgarden weren't the first people to take one of their songs and and rework it so i think it was just kind of in their blood kind of separately that they knew to do this and like had the capability and the flexibility and the the talent really to kind of deconstruct their own song and kind of rework it into something different and cool that they were more able to like feel at the time and like kind of connect with instead of playing your radio hit the same way for the 90 millionth time i don't know if there's a direct connection but probably ties back to the same things besides the pearl jam stuff the corduroy immortality this fell on black days is probably the thing to go back to from this as being like wow that was a cool moment now we get a recorded thing and this is going to play a couple times throughout this end of the broadcast here but there's like a bass and guitar tune up here with a voice like saying play me an a note like like yeah it's buffer time But that's going to go into uh, a little bit of the frogs and we're going to play Starboy. 
And yeah, like we know Ed's connection to the frogs and Starboy would actually come back to play in 1995 because when they played in Milwaukee at one of those shows, they end up playing Starboy. I think it's like Ed and the Flemings on stage together. You know, the frogs were, were with the band as, as were the fastbacks in 1995. And yeah, there's the connection there. I had the Starboy EP the Frogs did that year, but that was like a more produced kind of full band version. This is like an acoustic version of Starboy, which is super cool too. Like, yeah, this is this is great. Get a whole little they get Frogs get two songs here. Kind of the way that they played it when they played in Milwaukee, if I'm not mistaken, right? It was kind of stripped down more. Yeah, it's been yeah. a while since I've listened to that show, but I feel like it, it wasn't as involved as the normal recorded version. All right, Chris Novoselic is going to join the show here, and he says something about like, "Oh yeah, this is unsarcastically great show and great things from the community that you're doing here." And now we're going to call Dennis of the Frogs, and they play a song called "Johnny Get Out of My Jidge," which is sort of spoken word too. It sounds like it's from a weird 70s B-movie. Chris afterwards comments that was kind of like a Yoko Ono thing. Then Ed calls for a Wesley Willis song. They threw me out of church. I only know Wesley Willis from my whip Batman's ass. That's the only thing that I know him from, and I don't even know how I know that, but I do. I have a Wesley Willis story. I'm not going to go into it here, but my band did play with him one time. He did stay at my apartment, so I have Whoa. I have gotten the Wesley Willis headbutt. I did get to meet him and get to hang out with him for a night one time. Is it was, it was it was an experience. If people want to hear my Wesley Willis story, we can put it on Patreon or something. Yeah, I, I would love to hear that. Yeah, that's that's kind of gold content right there. These are things you'd kind of expect for Dennis to want to hear, and he's very. He's very, it sounds like he's very nice and he's very soft spoken and, you know, it seems just like a very normal guy. Yeah, it's just cool. They're just having a conversation. And this is kind of the, the time where he's calling people up while they're in bed and being like, hey, hey, it's, yeah, it's getting, getting late at this point. Mm-hmm. After they say goodbye to Dennis, you know, they're talking about like vinyl and secret codes inside of vinyl. And I can't remember exactly what Chris his secret code for Mike Watt was, or the ball. Oh, many, t- many bands make something. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, like, talk I, about the etching on the, the dead space on the record. A lot of bands yeah. put like messages there. Yeah. Right. Like uh, Pearl Jam did with what would be the D side of Gigaton and did the yeah. whole 86 45 kind of thing. And Ed says, Oh, you know, my suggestion was you can't change the strap on D Boone's hat. He yeah. tells the story. He's like, Mike Watt gave him D Boone's hat and it didn't fit, and he was going to like adjust it. But he was like, No, you can't change the strap on D Boone's hat. They get a hold of Mike at this point and they ask him about the new record. And he sounds so tired. Like, he's, yeah, he's, he's completely like, out of it. It's coming out on blue germ circles, and he calls it his wrestling record. He doesn't really elaborate into that. It was just kind of like, Yeah, or just, just wrestling record. Mike Watt speaks the way he speaks, and you you get what you get with Mike Watt. Yeah, he's he's, he's got a he's got a way about him. They're gonna play Big Train right after it, and that's one of the songs that Ed recorded with him, and you know one of the ones that 
and they played it live. Ed was doing some background vocals on. They did it on John Stewart in 1995. I think that Big Train, probably one of the more prominent songs off that record. But yeah, like if you have that Ringspiel album, if you have that record, you'll be able to hear a lot of Ed's presence on this. And you've talked about the music video for this before. And because Another of the reason to Pacific. join our Patreon, probably the only place you can find it. <laughs> Yeah, right, exactly. So if you're really interested in seeing the music video for Big Train, we have it available. But yeah, it says goodbye there, and there's a lot of bullshitting between them after the song ends. And We'd have a song called Black Heart from Crunk, which I actually really liked. And then we have a not very interesting telling of Chris Novoselic's excerpt from a book called Surprise, Surprise. It's not worth going over. Trust me on that. He had some work to do as an author. I'll put it that way. (laughs) They're about to go back on live here. And before they go back on, they're going to play a little who song called tattoo. This was a song that was played at live at Leeds, but it's not on the record. And this is important because not the song in itself, but after the song's over, Ed says, this is dedicated to the person who is our new official drummer. It's Jack Irons. So this is the first time you actually get to hear Jack by name during the show. Yep. Yep. Officially announced as Pearl Jam's new drummer at three o'clock in the morning on the radio where I was. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Where, where you were, where, where they were, they were like, Oh, it's 1130. Yeah. We'll yep. just keep yep. going until we go. But yeah, it's like, ah, oh, there's noise in the house. Everybody in the band is playing except for me. And it says, uh, oh, they would just be fine without me. And you kind of hear them sort of screaming in the background I think it's Chris Novoselic. I think they're... Is it Chris? He, he had gone in there to sing. Yeah, that's that's what it is. I think they're singing some jingle about Laurelhurst Beach or something. I think that's Chris Novoselic's voice, and they're singing with Pearl Jam. Oh. And it's funny because as Ed goes, oh, like, they're in there jamming. Let's cut to it. And as soon as he cuts over, like, they stop, and you, you, hear, you hear none of it. Too bad. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of a funny moment. I'm pretty sure that was Chris Novoselic in there singing with them. It says, I can move to Costa Rica, and they would do just fine without me. It's 11 o'clock Seattle time. They've gone over half hour overtime, and they're going to play five songs. So the bass guitar tuning thing comes in again, and then you're going to get into Last Exit. Only two more from Vitalogy, then you're going to get a couple verses in Porch. That snare pop from Jack on the Last Exit. Oh, my goodness, from 1995. It's the most beautiful thing that comes out of that era. It's just very simple, effective way of doing this. And I think the reference here, they do four days, not much longer, instead of three. And I want to say that's due to when they're going to play the Vote for Choice in D.C. Because I think yep. that was on the 12th, 12th. I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah, Last Exit is great. I mean, what can you say about Jack on Last Exit? Just stellar. I just love listening to it again.
Blood, a huge song for them in 1994. Then it seems like the plan was for them to keep the momentum up this year, and they did. And you guys know the song. Like, Ed goes off on this big time, too. Like, these are songs that are going to focus on him letting it go. Oh, it sounds deranged. Yeah. Yeah, right. We get into Tremor Christ after Blood. And this got me thinking here about just about Tremor Christ. I know I put it out on social media. I don't keep the cards hidden sometimes. But I think Tremor Christ might be a top five Jeff Baseline for me. I really do. And I think it just kind of fits so well within the setting and tone of the song. And while like Stone is more of like the kind of the janky riff and kind of almost like the seasick feel, there's a couple of different things that you can kind of put into this that it kind of feels like. But like Jeff with that little, it's almost like a sinister bass riff. It kind of sounds almost carny in a way. It feels really open within, you know, just sort of playing within what Jack is doing, kind of that booming presence. And it just, it works so well here. It's just one of my favorite things. And, and look, I think it's top five of mine. And, you know, I don't I don't know if this is true. Like, is Vitalogy one of Jeff's best records? Because he's got Nothing Man, too. And that's a classic bass line as well. I think it's, it's one of all of their best records, <laughs> uh, no matter no matter what Stone says. But, yeah, I don't know if I would go top five. My number one's always in my tree. But it's definitely underrated. I mean, Tremor Christ is, again, one of the best songs that no one ever talks about that they hardly ever play anymore. I remember, yeah, the first song that we heard off of Vitalogy, I remember hearing on the radio and being like, oh my God, the song's incredible. Yeah, definitely, I think Tremor Christ is definitely the highlight of the the back end of this. Portion indifference that's going to close it out here. Porch is interesting because there's no one, two, three, four. It's just what the fuck is this world and in? And there can't be any shenanigans in the house that belongs to him. So it's pretty tightened up. The solo doesn't really last much longer than maybe a minute and a half. And that's kind of being generous there, but you don't get the full solo jam experience on it. But Jack crushed the ending. Just a powerful drive. Yeah, Porch is, is interesting, because I think Ed, to me, sounds 
just disinterested. And I don't know why they would play a song from 10 on this thing. I think he even lays off the scream and just does a little, kind of does a little softer spoken thing to it. It's just like, oh, okay. To me, I think, is, is this the worst version of Porch that exists because of that? It might be for me. This, this does nothing for me. I had no idea why they would play a 10 song on this broadcast. Like, do something else, anything else. Oh, if you're thinking about it that way, like maybe it was one of those things. It's just like, okay, well, we got to end this. And how do we usually end this? Okay. Porch and difference. That's what we know. And they weren't thinking to, you know, maybe say, all right, let's do whipping. And then let's do, I don't know. Maybe they finish with rear view mirror or something like that. Yeah. That would have been super cool. Yeah. Probably Ed would have been more into it. I can see what you're saying. I kind of saw an indifference too. I kind of saw a little bit of, like the bit, it was just kind of like playing in your garage sort of thing where not much was going on here. And yeah, I don't, I, I think they were kind of done by that point. I think everyone yeah, was kind of getting tired. Yeah. And difference at least has the vibe of being like you're in a living room and like it's got that kind of space to it. And it's like same with kind of immortality that like let, letting it breathe really helps the song, but that doesn't do anything for porch. I mean, yeah, give me anything else. Well, we did get a couple things rehearsed and not played. As, as I mentioned before, it was whipping. The other thing that was rehearsed and not played, because it's never been played live, this is as close as you're ever going to get, is Catholic Boy. Uh, we mentioned the basketball tires earlier and mm-hmm. what Soundgarden put out for the basketball tires, Blind Dogs. And this was Pearl Jam's contribution to the record. Originally a Jim Carroll song, I believe. I believe that's his yep. name. Yep. And... Out of like every song that Pearl Jam's ever worked on, this might be one of the least that I've ever listened to. And going back, you know, watching this and and seeing all this, it, like it, it feels like just sort of a, a song that you kind of fuck around with in your garage, and not much more than that. And it didn't seem like Ed was taking it too seriously. He was kind of going no 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 no, and it just didn't. Yeah, it didn't feel like they were actually planning to play this. They felt like, a, hey, what else do we know? Oh, well, well, let's give this a shot. And, you know, no wonder why it never made a Pearl Jam show. Well, they tagged it once in Japan, like six weeks later on Porch. But yeah, never a, never a full thing. But I always forget that, like, it's one of those things, like, it's so weird because I always talk about, like, wanting to get everything Pearl Jam related, but like Pearl Jam backed Jim Carroll on the Basketball Diaries soundtrack on the song. And like, I always forget that. And I never think about it when I think of like covers or things that they played on or things to go back and listen to as part of the whole collection. But yeah, it never really connected with me. Like I said, it it just feels separate from anything else they, they did. I just never, never connected to them for whatever reason. So this was, yeah. this was weird to watch. Yeah, it feels like if you've been with your your wife, your husband, your your partner for however long and like out of nowhere you like found out that they smoke cigarettes or something like that, you're like, "What is this? What have you been keeping from me?" And mm-hmm. and you kind of watch it and you're like, "That doesn't feel exactly like them. Like something's something's a little off." I I I, I see what you're saying there. It's not something the band ever kind of goes back to and mentions. I don't think I've ever seen the Basketball Diaries. Have you? Probably not, uh, right? Maybe a, a long time ago, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I, like I had no 
absolutely no knowledge of it. So yeah, that's that's where I stand with that. All right, not much left in this, but there is a big speech at the end. We'll just kind of run through a little bit and then talk about that. So we play a hovercraft song called 0001. This is Beth's band. A bit of experimental, and we knew that. I think Herned did... Was that hovercraft that they did before Mike Watt, or was that something else? Yeah, that was that. Was that. And Ed plays drums on it. Right, right, right. So yeah. it's got some like clocks ticking and a zitar kind of sound in there. And I guess for being experimental, it's kind of a cool sound, but really he doesn't mention Beth by name or anything like that. So, you know, she's not there or doesn't seem to be talking at all. So, all right, let's get to the end. Ed calls up D from L7 to talk a little bit about the Vote for Choice show in DC in the coming days. And D mentioned something about having hand transplants. It doesn't sound like she played that show, but Dan Peters of Munhoney filled in her place. And here, out of all the guys that you're trying to call up late at night, he goes for the gusto here. And he wants to give Neil Young a ring. And it doesn't work. Neil is sleeping or in his shed recording the next three albums, because that's usually what he did. And honestly, I don't even know if he's in Seattle because Mirrorball is being recorded very close to this, right? It was that like a week after or something like that. Yeah, it was January and February. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of talk about like, oh, have you ever met Neil before? And Dee said she met him kind of briefly at Lollapalooza. So yeah, that's some promotion for the show that they're going to play in a couple of days. And Ed kind of mentioned the beginning, Gloria Steinem, and how much he wanted to work with her. And, you know, they, they've done this a couple times throughout like the late nineties too. So it was important to them, obviously. And now this kind of leads into the ending and I didn't transcribe any of this. This was about a 15 to 20 minute thing. He went on here, I guess overall it is talking about women's reproductive rights. Feels sadly relevant listening to it in 2022 and 2023 than than you would have thought in 1995. Yeah, they talk about the whole David Gunn thing, how he was murdered, and he mentions a couple other doctors who were murdered in Planned Parenthood clinics. But essentially, yeah, that's that's the whole premise behind this. It's uplifting, but then you kind of lose attention after a while. I'm sure you're sleeping by this point. And this is something they've always done, is to stand up for women's reproductive rights and try to kind of bring it into politics, too, and and kind of put it in play and kind of defend it. Yeah, I mean, again, it boils down to, like, that's the thing that hit me listen to it, is, like, this stuff is almost more relevant now than it was back then. And, like, who would have thought back then that, like, he's talking about this and, like, here we are in, in 2023 and, like, still a big issue we've gone backwards so yeah almost like they should release like this as a vault just this speech on vinyl and have it be out there for people to hear kind of a christmas single both sides yeah yeah he just goes on a rant about it and you it's another one just like the beginning where you're just getting his unfiltered take on this thing and like you were just talking with him in a bar and he just kind of goes off on like what he thinks about it and like you can tell he's got notes and he's kind of like looking at things and reading off things but you can tell he's passionate about it it's a long speech and there's some good stuff in here. 
you know, one of the things I'll say as one of his quote, will, will crimes against women finally be taken seriously as others until we see culprits punished and crimes prevented? Every man and woman in America must make the protection of our community and our clinics a personal priority. So I think that kind of sums most of that up. And he's like, all right, you know what? Uh, thanks for everybody to come by and uh, let them play their tapes. And says, we'll answer the phones after the show. And they'll answer the phones in the next couple of days. And he's like, I want people to share their opinions. Like, tell me real stuff and don't get nervous when I pick up the phone. And then it's just very nonchalantly, uh, 206-283-6353. And Louis Armstrong will kind of carry us home for the night, playing What a Wonderful World to Say Goodbye. That's the end of that. Any just kind of overall thoughts here? Well, before that, I do have a, a couple of things, because like we'd mentioned, like, you know, they weren't doing Rolling Stone interviews or anything like that. But there was a little Rolling Stone blurb about this that Five Horizons still has archived. And it, it does say that after they finished broadcasting, the party continued into the wee hours, quote, with people already joking about future shows. Uh, Soundgarden's Matt Cameron was overheard saying, I think this should happen every week. Good, good job, Matt. We wish it would have. It only happened well, you'd one other time. You'd spend a lot of time with it. You'd spend uh, a lot of weeks with them much later. Yeah, definitely. I would have spent a lot more money on blank tapes. But no, the phone number thing is kind of an interesting story because have my tape, get home from school put in the tape, like listen to it again, what I missed. And I hear the phone number and I'm like, shit, like I could call Eddie Vedder and talk to him. And I think I worked out like I was going to, cause like I was super into, like he'd mentioned the germs and like I was into the real into the germs and like the descendants. And I was like, I'm going to talk to Eddie and I'm going to mention like, I'm going to, we're going to talk about punk rock. He's going to be into it because I'm, I, I was like, I'm not going to like fanboy over Pearl Jam. I want to talk about the germs and, and punk rock. So get up the nerve, like dial the number rings disconnected. What a bummer. I did not get to talk to Eddie Vedder the next day. Evidently some people were able to get through the next day or the day after, but when I called the next afternoon, it was disconnected. Pretty much after he gave out that number, I think he probably regretted the whole thing. Yeah, because he was not was, uh, getting the people that were like, "Oh, let's talk about women's yeah, reproductive rights." It's probably yeah. like, "Oh my God, Eddie, saw you at this show." And when are you coming to Dubuque? Yeah, yeah, okay. but man, Dubuque is getting hit hard on know, here. Right? I don't even know, I know where Dubuque right? is. It's in it's in Iowa. Um, <laughs> so that's why I didn't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, apologies to Curtis. I think there was there was one other show where he gave out his phone number, like a live show at the end. He's like. It, it was during, during not, not for you. Like, yeah, yeah. Like he'd call me and he gives out his phone number, but you can imagine thousands of phone calls just nonstop. I probably called one of the breaks when they were like fed up and like you got to unplug this thing for a little bit. Yeah, but I but I was ready to talk to him. I, I was prepared. You want to try I'd and work, call that number now? No, I'm, I'm I'm sure it's just some some old lady who's trying to get some sleep. I'm not gonna, you not know gonna what? bother them. Maybe maybe we'll call tomorrow in the morning and put it on Patreon just for shits and giggles. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows if this person even knows yeah, about yeah. this yeah, yeah. historic moment, I suppose. All right, let's get to the tail end of this. I guess we can do the three stars, the three moments of the show. I'll say the the Mad Season performance, just those two songs, super cool. The Mud Honey thing, I know like a lot of people wouldn't go back to Mud Honey, but I really enjoyed going back and hearing the three songs from My Brother the Cow. It made me want to go back and put on that record. 
And then it's got to be corduroy through immortality. Corduroy not for you and immortality is just unbelievable how good they sound and how incredible these versions are. So yeah, that, that that's it for me. Those those are the ones I go back to more often. Yeah, I think is the Pearl Jam moment from this that was my favorite. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a tie between immortality and and Trevor Christ, but I think the edge goes to immortality there. As the number two, I'm going to say the Fell on Black Days performance just blew me away. It was incredible. And yeah, I would love to get a hand on some kind of other performance of that. And number one, I think, is Mad Season. Like, that's super important in all this. And, and same as the, the girl stuff, too. But like, that's kind of setting up what would be the back half and you know if you want to say grunge was dead by that point then you, you know you're you're free to make the argument but I, I i see that and mad season being sort of the back end of grunge before it will officially go away in 1996 1997 so um i'm not gonna rate this i no, think, I think that can, yeah it's not technically a live show they put on some performances, but there's no real crowd. You can't, yeah, you can't throw it up there with just other stuff. So we're it's just going to. It belongs in a different category. Yeah. yeah. I, I, and I think that's essentially why we wanted to cover it is because yeah. it's just part of history and yeah. it's something different. Look, we don't have to cover a live show every single time. Well, let me take that back. We have to cover a live show every single time or do something within the realm. And this is within the realm. So, hey, at least we made it here. All right. Next week, the first official show of the 2023 season is going to be a 2014 show. We're going to do St. Paul. Uh, that's that's the sandwiched in between Milwaukee and Moline show. It is. And I think yeah. that's that's that'll be interesting for us to talk about. And this one was also not requested by one, but two different patrons. So yep. we'll have, I guess, a couple of different stories on that. And I think a lot of people that were there definitely feel, I wouldn't say that they feel like cheapened because they didn't get one of those shows, but they feel like the show is misrepresented because of how historic the other two were. So yeah, it's always, it's always going to be overlooked. Yep. So we'll do our best to put that into a different spotlight and hopefully give you guys that only pay attention to the full album shows a chance to enjoy it. So that's that's a goal that we always try to make here. But I'll uh, thank you guys for all tuning in. If you have a second, just a second, all you need is maybe a couple more seconds than that. But it would be nice to see you guys head on over to anywhere that you subscribe to our podcast and help us out with a rating or a comment. I know on Spotify you could do a rating, and our ratings are working really, really well over there. But on Apple, you could do a rating and a comment. And the goal by this year, we have 61 ratings so far, but the goal by this year, I would love to be at 100 ratings over there. So. You know, we have great reviews and obviously can use so many more. It's just going to help everybody that's that's looking for something to listen to. And yeah, like just kind of keep them coming. And every nice thing that you say about us will say nice things about you, too, because we got nothing bad to say about anybody that's got nothing bad to say about us. So, yeah, it's just 
absolutely appreciated. And if you do it, we'll definitely send you something nice as a thank you for doing that. But it's really that kind of stuff really, really helps us out. That's all I got. And thank you guys for tuning in to the first show, the first episode of 2023. Next week will be the first show of 2023. So this may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already, miss you always. I think to myself, what a wonderful world. And next week, we'll see you there. Fuck rock stars. I got virgins, I got cabbage.